And so I got going again. I got on the bike and I was like, get back into it, get back into it. And then all and I just, something didn't feel right with my left side. I just kind of really like, I couldn't stand. I couldn't really put a lot of pressure on it. So then I, the, the doctor pulls up next to me and they're like, Oh, hold on, hold on. Race doc. The race doctor. Yep. And so I, when I go to hold on to the car, yeah. you know, I grab on with my, my left side and the car just takes off to bring us back to the race. And that's when I, I like immediately oh just this huge jolt. Of pain. White. <laughs> yeah. 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 So oh, just trying to hold on to this, this doctor's car at like 40 miles an hour with a, a broken shoulder. And, mm -hmm. That's when I knew, uh, yeah, something was wrong. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome on back to King of the Ride podcast. I'm your host. I am Ted King, and dare I say it, this just might be our best episode yet. I am freshly back from the Grand Prix, Quebec City, Montreal. Just a hop, skip, and three-hour jump north of us here in New England. These two one-day races, they were always a particular highlight of my season. They're relatively close to home, so there was lots of hometown support that was always very nice perk. They're terrifically well run. The racers, they put uh, the race organizers rather. They put on a show with hospitality, hosting the race, the racers, the staff, the media, etc. In this beautiful historic castle in the Chateau Frontenac. Please rest assured that this is this is the polar opposite of what the standard European racing format is all about. When you have one to two teams in, eh, let's call them dingy hotels spread around Europe. This time of year, everyone is coasting on fitness now that it's September. Yes, there are plenty of big targets in the calendar, but there's not a lot of big gains to be made. So this time of year, everybody seems to be a tiny bit more relaxed. The races themselves have this really nice spring classic world championship feel to them where they, you, you hit these really tough circuits time and time again. But they're both friendly for a racer, as I've done it five times and, and as I experienced this time around. It's really nice as a spectator as well on the side of the barrier. So... On top of all of that, Quebec City especially, Montreal as well, provide a very European feel. And by that, I mean, if you want to save a little time and you don't want to take the trip and, and, and use the resources to go to Europe, if you want to have a European feel and have that European charm, I recommend you head up to Quebec City to Montreal. These are two awesome races and, and you will find out exactly what I mean when you get there. Anyway... On to the racing. Really, really nice racing by Michael Matthews coming away with a double victory. He had something of a lackluster year here in 2018, coming off a very impressive green jersey win as the best sprinter in 2017 at the Tour de France. But he's been on something of a redemptive second half of the year in 2018. Make no mistake, Michael Matthews goes uphill incredibly well and still sprints incredibly well. 4,000 meters of climbing in Montreal. A hair less than that in Quebec City. I still say that if he weren't racing in the same era as Peter Sagan, he would win. Michael Matthews would win nearly as prolifically as Peter. He has those same traits. He can sprint. He can climb. He can prologue. He can TT. Anyway, really nice racing all around, as I was saying. And it was a blast to take it in from this side of the barriers. It gave me a really nice opportunity to, to take in my yearly intake of poutine. We're going to talk about that a tiny bit. That's French fries, gravy, and cheese curds. If you're not familiar, it is a Canadian delicacy. And trust me, it's exquisite. And of course, it was great to catch up with friends, former teammates, and friendly folks in the Peloton. This is actually the first race in a very long time that I've seen. So, so yeah, it was really just nice being back in the atmosphere. With that all said, rather than sitting down with the man of the hour in Michael Matthews, Better yet, I got to sit down with the man of the year in Lawson Craddock. 
If you follow cycling and don't know the story of Lawson this year, then you don't just live under a rock, but you were asleep under a rock with your earplugs in. Lawson broke his scapula, scapula, pardon me, on stage one of this year's Tour de France. If that sounds familiar, yes, I did that as well. Oops. That's a huge part of why I wanted to sit down with him. That's just part of the story, though. Lawson had more TV time than arguably anyone at this year's tour, tailgunning, sitting in the back of the entire peloton, the first half of the tour, suffering like a dog. We're going to talk about that in this episode because as much as it looks peaceful back there, we get to dictate your pace just a little bit. No, that is one of the hardest places to be. More than that, Lawson set out to make a small statement by raising funds for his hometown velodrome. That was ravaged by a hurricane not too long ago. The true colors of cycling fans came out as a result of what Lawson did at this year's Tour de France. I'm sure many of you donated, contributed, helped out in some way or another. That number for the funds raised is is somewhere around $300,000 at this point, which is absolutely staggering. You'll hear the very heartfelt meaning of that velodrome to Lawson, what it means for early cycling for him, what it means for cycling as a family for Lawson, I really enjoy this conversation. I know you will too. And lastly, before we wrap up, I thank you again for all of you who have left reviews. I really can't tell you how important those are. It takes just 30 seconds or less. Leave it in iTunes or whatever podcast player you are listening to right now. Again, please shoot me any questions, any comments, anything you want me to say, know, or do at all things. I am Ted King on social media. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much and please enjoy the show. So, Lawson Craddock, welcome to Quebec City. Um, I live just three and a half, four hours south of here, so it's kind of like welcoming you home. I feel like this is very New England here. Feels more Europe than New England. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's definitely got a European charm. So, for one, I'm going to make you do some homework here. Make you do the, the heavy lifting. Oh, boy. Set the scene. What do Set we see right now? Uh, we are in a gazebo, which is quite beautiful. We're right on the river. There's Canadian flags everywhere. Can you name the river? Uh... I think I missed the Quebecacon. I think it's the St. Lawrence, and I'm embarrassed. That sounds right. If I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. No, it's it's absolutely beautiful here. It is. We're this is not your traditional European bike race because they're putting us up at the Chateau Frontenac. Yeah, five five whole stars. Five stars. Every single team in in the hotel. I did hear though that a few years ago, uh, they tried to do this race and, um. We, we did it's like the only year we haven't stayed here they stayed at uh, just a big old hotel right down the block but it's because a prince had flown in and literally rented out the entire hotel <laughs> like uh, 500 rooms or something huh as you do yeah it's probably the same kind of prince who doesn't just fly on one 747 but mm. he has like a fleet yeah 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 for sure that's a thing caravan um, how many quebec grand prix quebec city and montreal's have you done uh this is my third year uh-huh. uh doing doing these races uh, yeah I, I really enjoy them uh it's always kind of like a fun good atmosphere up at these races um it's still still really really tough uh, the races are really challenging and, and competitive but you know everyone is kind of get to this point in the season where 
you know, instead of everyone just wanting to kill each other from, from the gun, they actually en- enjoy racing, racing, uh, racing bikes for a bit. And, uh, and just outside of the race too, you know, everyone has, you know, is starting to have the season wind down and, uh, it's, it's, it's quite relaxed. Um, mm-hmm. the racing is still difficult, but it, it is definitely a, a good vibe here. Yeah. It's so we're in downtown Quebec city, historic Quebec city. Um, I think what you see, so I did five of these, if my math is correct, 2011 through 2015. I think you see more cyclists walking around here than you do any other race. And admittedly, you know, we're all compact into one hotel. So it's, you know, we're, we're concentrated when you roll out the door and you see all the cyclists. But there's something, you know, it's a beautiful historic yeah. town, good cafes, bistros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just different than... You go to Paranese or, or or Dauphiné or any of these races in Europe, and you you fly in the day before, and you know you're just in this weird small town that no one's ever heard of, and it's it's generally raining. Uh, you're in a Campanile, and you're so. you're in Campanile, so you just don't, yeah you just deal with it. But you come here and you're in this beautiful setting. Um, you know you you're in somewhere different in uh-huh. this pretty beautiful city. Uh, that you traditionally would only would come to for for these races and you know in a really cool area and, and a lot of good cafes around and, and generally people come here a few days ahead of time too so gives them the opportunity just to, just to see the city at not on a bike and, and enjoy the sights and, and just not be a full tourist but just a just a semi yeah did you make it out to uh Cantuc? have you heard of this place the coffee shop no okay so Johnny Disco, your Swanee up there Disco Johnny, at, yeah. uh, at Education <laughs> First Dropic. He had recommended that I go out to Cantuc, and he says that all the cyclists are out there and went out. It's a good, it's a decent walk. It's a K. Oh, so. that's too far for cyclists. Well, that's what's weird. <laughs> I, I totally agree. And then I went out there, and the place is packed with cyclists. Um, the roaster is obsessed with cycling. He's on a beautiful old Cannondale. Wow. Um, Subtle sponsor drop there, but, oh, yeah. but he was on like a circa <laughs> 1990 Canandale. Amazing. Um, Down tube shifters. So, yeah, I'll probably head over there tomorrow as you're prepping for your bike race. I'll pick you up a nice thing of beans. Get and, some, yeah, get some poutine for me. Oh my gosh, dude. Don't bring it back to me, but just yeah. eat it. And so I can enjoy it remotely through you. Part of the, the allure of coming back to this race and being on the other side of the barriers was to take in the poutine. Oh my There's God. Great beer in this town. Yeah. Um, I'll try not to rub it in, but yeah, when you're on like lap four, I'll be downing some poutine. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a bummer. Over the years that I've done this race, my motivation level has actually gone higher and higher. Excellent. And my first year, I was just like ready to be done with the season, so I just I hit the I, you know, I was on the poutine sketch, the the kokanees, <laughs> and the race didn't go so well. But nowadays, it's just like oh man, I actually I have motivation left in the season. I still want to do well, and yeah. then, you know I'll, I'll I'll enjoy it with my eyes, and then. Yeah, maybe we'll have a reason to celebrate Sunday. Yeah, it's a tough test of one's discipline, these two races, Quebec City and Montreal, because they're very difficult laps. Like, sure, you can you can noodle your way around the Peloton just fine, but you're going up a pretty stout climb 15 or 17 times, whatever it is, and more than anything, you're going within 20 feet of the front door of the hotel. Yeah, and you're like, you got to have strong oh, willpower. Yeah. you gotta, you got to push through. Um <laughs> Especially when the weather's bad. My final race of my career was Montreal, and it was pouring rain, oh. and it was it was raw. I was about was ready to be done. That was 2015. Whoa. Anyway, um, 
enough about me. Definitely here to talk about you. Um, I want to start in the way, way back machine. Um, tell me about your family. Tell me about your upbringing. Uh, when, whenever I've heard you interviewed or, or read about you, I mean, for goodness sakes, I read an interview with your mom this summer. Um, <laughs> you speak very highly of your family. Yeah. You seem to have a great support system. Tell me about your family. Yeah, I think in this sport, I think in any any sport really as professional athletes, you you have to have a good support system growing up and, and, and making your way through through your career. Uh, we push our bodies so hard and we push everything to the absolute limit to get every ounce out of out of ourselves that we can. And if you don't have people around you that lift you up and, and motivate you and, and push you along the way, then it just makes it just way more difficult than it than it really should be. And for me, I was I was fortunate to have my my family as a part of that. You know, I had great parents uh, growing up. Uh, I, st I still have great parents. Uh, my parents are just incredible people. They're some of the most generous uh, uh, people that that I think I'll ever uh, you know be fortunate to to interact with. Um, and they, they taught me a lot. You know, just about the correct way to, to kind of live your life. And I've made a, I've definitely made some mistakes along the way, but <laughs> no, they've, they've been there every step of the journey and, and, and helped guide me along. Um, I'm best friends with my brother, uh, Parker and, you know, older, uh, younger, two years older. Yep. Uh, we, we fought quite a bit, uh, growing up, but you know, it's, that's just <laughs> what brothers do. And, and now we have a, a great relationship and, uh, yeah, someone that I really, really enjoy hanging out with and seeing and, and, uh, j just spending time with. And, you know, when you spend your whole life with, with that too, you, you realize the importance of, of relationships and, you know, I was fortunate to to find one uh, with with my current wife, with my current wife, with my <laughs> with my now wife uh, Chelsea, who's uh, just been been truly remarkable and uh, in supporting me throughout my my career as a cyclist and going through life with her as well as. Uh, when did you two meet? Um, we met uh, almost seven years ago uh, in Austin, Texas, at a music festival. Uh, we, we had had a, had a few beers at that point and just trying to figure out, a, are you hanging out with Nate Brown at this point? Oh yeah. I was hanging right. out with Nate Brown, Gavin Mannion yeah. and we were on the prowl and, uh, yeah, just position ourselves uh, behind <laughs> these two girls that we really want to talk to and, uh, kind of made a fool of ourselves at first, but you know, you pretty crazy, you know, the crowd of 70,000 people and, and that, you know, that's where I met my, uh, my wife and it's, uh, that was pretty awesome. amazing. Yeah. Well, um, okay, we could take that in a thousand different directions. Um, I'll go on a real tiny tangent. I saw Nate Brown last week at the Green Mountain Stage Race. Have yeah. you ever done the Green Mountain Stage Race? I've done the Green Mountain Stage Race. I can't believe you don't remember. Uh, actually, we didn't really race together, but we did have dinner together. I was on Hot Tubes. No kidding. Yeah. Was I in Cervelo? Yeah, you won the you won the prologue. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was not planted plug. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't win a lot of races in my career, but I did win that. Yeah, that was, oh, my, that was my first year on Hot Tubes, and I remember, ah, Dead King, we're eating dinner with his World Tour Pro Tour uh, guy. And oh, jeez. Yeah, you, you were wearing the yellow jersey. I'm pretty sure you wore it to dinner that night. Oh, as you do. I think I had my, my uh, what do you call it? No plaid not argyle oh my god yeah, I had madras yeah. i had madras shorts on <laughs> my goodness well yeah you gotta you gotta show that stuff off okay back to the basics um family brother you've you've one sibling uh yeah one older brother okay and two two younger brother-in-laws now gotcha um 
How about, I mean, the actual, the entry into cycling? I believe a velodrome is involved or, or mm. winning a uh, winning a bicycle. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, were your folks into cycling? How did yeah, you my, get on a bike? My dad was actually a professional downhill racer in, like, the 80s and 90s. Whoa. Which is crazy. Yeah, he... Like uh, Tomac in that? Uh, who? John Tomac? Sorry. I don't know. So he was in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think these are like. I'm sure. I'm sh- yeah. I'm sure he he knows these guys a lot better than I do as far as names go. But the the kind of short story or the short story of it all is there was this group out in out in California that w- was like the Joe Joe Breeze and uh-huh. and Gary Fishers of the world. Uh-huh. And then there was my dad and his friends in in Crescent Butte, and they would go out to these junkyards and and just pull parts off of motorcycles and stuff and, and build their bikes from 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 scratch and take them to the top of these mountains and ride down Holy and cow. so it's them in colorado and crested butte and then the group in california and so the guys in california kind of heard oh, okay these people down, down in colorado doing the same thing so they flew in you know they were comparing bikes and stuff and yeah my dad was part of that group and um that's yeah, so legendary so it's, kind of, it's kind of a cool story um it's actually it's 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 pretty pretty cool uh you know i think that back that's back when downhill and mountain biking really started to take off in the states and you know he's he was kind of a, a small part of that does he have any uh historical relics does he have like yeah. the original bikes yeah original he's got wheels, his original or? bike i've got a picture of it yeah um but it's amazing I it's it's it is a clunker he definitely he kept it he and he built one for my mom too and he, uh they so they both have like their original pretty much the original downhill bikes and uh-huh. uh when you see what the guys like race downhill now and then you compare it to right. those the guys these days are just <laughs> oh, they don't like even a, know what it is yeah it's like a game it's yeah easy. It's they just ride down on, on, our, on our sofa yeah but what a riot all right. So dad's a cyclist. Mom yeah. is also a cyclist. Yeah. So they were, they were just adventure junkies in, in Crested Butte. Yeah, um, it's an amazing and, town. Yeah. In, in the eighties and, and, and that's how they met. I think my mom came out for a summer and then they met and my mom stayed, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they were ski bombs and they would ride and, you know, ski during the winter and mountain bike during the, the summer. And then, you know, they got married, they moved to Houston. My dad started a, a roofing company and kind of i think he he actually won the national downhill championships in 1990 mm-hmm. or 91 mm-hmm. um and then after that had knee surgery and starting his business so he he hung it up but he always just rode uh recreationally and uh he when i was growing up you know I, when i was two he was always on a bike and i i saw that wanted to follow that and actually took my training wheels off my bike when i was like two years old <laughs> and really just kind of rode uh ever since uh would jump on the back of the tandem with my dad before school do family rides on the weekend but my introduction into bike racing was actually was at the Al- 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 velodrome in houston um i grew up about 10 minutes away from it and did a, a youth summer league uh, where it's multiple classes throughout the throughout the summer over over six to eight weeks and at the end of that um everyone that that participated in in all the the the, the camps that the the track put on got together uh race out of friday night racing and each uh winner of the categories boys and girls won a won a free bike and so i ended up winning that and really i haven't stopped racing since yeah yeah Man, oh man! It's crazy. Um, <laughs> you've been through the school of cycling. I mean, I I remember well before that year we met at 
Green Mountain Stage Race. I mean, I'd heard of this Lawson Craddock, this kid coming out of Texas. Who, how many national championships do you suppose you have? Uh, not as many as Corinne. Okay, yeah, fair. No, yeah. I, I, she's a hitter. Six or six or seven, all juniors. Though. I haven't, re- I haven't won one since I turned under twenty-three. Oh, so goodness. Well, still not a letdown. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're continuing to impress. Um, I remember not too long ago. I mean, suffice it to say, I don't know if you know this, but you're sort of the man of 2018. Um, <laughs> people are paying attention. I, I heard this year in an interview that you, you talk about you know, the importance of the Tour de France and watching the Tour de France all through the summer and getting, you know, psyched on bike racing as a kid. And then you go to experience it. So we're fast forwarding, fast forwarding many years. You go to experience it. And I experienced, I think the same thing. The Tour de France yeah. is every other bike, bike race, race, the power of infinity. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. There's nothing like it. The hype, yeah. the stress, the game on the absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you describe it? How do you describe you've done two tours now? Yeah. Uh, chaos. Like well I think you, if you just have to put one word on it, it's just chaos, uh-huh. you know, on the bike, off the bike, you know, everywhere is just, I don't know, chaos. Yeah. It, you, you're going full throttle from the second you, from, from the month before when you, the second you hear that you have, you know, a slight chance of the Tour de France team, you, you go flat out training nutrition uh recovery everything mm-hmm. racing and then you know you know, get the call you they say you make the team and then which let me interrupt and i think it's really funny i don't know how how uh you know your team was doing it as we were doing it often in the last few weeks you know you're you are 12 guys gunning for at that point nine spots now eight mm-hmm. spots and you are you know you're doing everything you can to be peaked then and it's almost yeah. like you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of tough. counterintuitive. Yeah. So as to not be completely peaked for the race, but then you're like, all right, time to do a quick recovery and get ready to go. Yeah. Anyway. I, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes this year, fortunately, we we did not do a training camp beforehand. Yep. But I've done training camps before the tour. The, I've done a training camp before the 2016 tour. Mm-hmm. And everyone there was kind of like, no one wanted to say it, but everyone knew that we were all fighting for, yeah. for, for the spots and someone was going to get left out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got you know, the, the director or the boss in the car behind you. And I mean, you, you want to show them what you got. You want to say, okay, I can, I can turn it up a bit on this climb and put the rest of these guys in the box. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's just stressful. Yep. Yeah. You're right. So it is for a month out for yeah. two months out. Um, and then furthermore, leading into it, you get the call, you're going to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, fast forward a little bit again, it's sort of funny that by the time you do hit the mountains, you haven't ridden a mountain in two or three weeks at that point. Yeah. Yeah. D- yeah, yeah, yeah. It always, always depends on the course, but you look at this year and nine days or something, we, we never went over a thousand meters of elevation any day. That's bonkers. And then, so it's just the Tour de France is just a spectacle. And and that's what, they, that's exactly what they want. The, sure. the, the more chaotic the, the race is, the more, you know, stuff like Froome getting knocked off the bike, mm-hmm. you know, that's, Mm-hmm. That's 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 terrible for us, but you know, very rarely does cycling make it on Sports Center. Yeah, and when the yellow jersey at the Tour de France gets you know gets hit off the bike on one of the most famous climbs, uh-huh. that's when uh, that's when cycling's going to get their their you know exposure. Absolutely, yeah. They want every person in the bike race is telling a story, and that's what you know. It's like the master puppeteer yeah. is the Tour de France. It's the ASO. They want there to be people spinning tails. So. 
you talked about the first nine days. You had a pretty easy first nine days, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I never left the back. Yeah. I uh, just basically chilled and, you know. You're on TV all the time. Yeah, no, I got, I got off, you know, took it easy basically once the race got hard and, you know, just. Uh, <laughs> You're ready yeah. for the mountains. Yeah, I just cruised it in every day. <laughs> That's freaking brilliant. Yeah. Um, Learned how to tailgun. We kid. Um, so one thing we share outside of being two awesome dudes is we both broke our scapula on the first day of the Tour de France. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sucks. I think we can probably both agree. Understatement. Um, <laughs> it doesn't suck. It just sucks more mentally than physically. Yeah. 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 Like that alone. Uh, okay. How you, you fall off your bike in the middle of the stage uh, through through unforeseen circumstances much like is always the case crash in front of me you had a water bottle yeah. toss in front of you um at what point do you know that something's broken yeah um i mean when you hit the deck you know i i didn't really think anything was wrong i got up immediately kind of did like the once over yep and i was okay i'm okay like teeth I, are intact yeah collarbones intact yeah and then and then my eyes started started to get a little fuzzy so i kind of reached up rubbed it there's blood i was like okay what well, that's fine you know yep blood's blood blood so, out of my head that's fine. yeah that's <laughs> as long as i can you know as long as i remember what happened which i which i did uh-huh. and so i got going again i got on the bike and i was like getting back into it get back into it and then all and i just something didn't feel right with my left side i just couldn't really like I couldn't stand. I couldn't really put a lot of pressure on it. So then I, the the doctor pulls up next to me, and they're like, "Oh, hold on, hold on." Race doc. The race doctor. Yep. And so I, when I go to hold on to the car, yeah. you know, I grab on with my my left side, and the car just takes off to bring us back to the race. And that's when I I like immediately oh just this huge jolt. You must of have pain. seen white. <laughs> yeah. 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 So oh, holy hell. just trying to hold on to this this doctor's car at like forty miles an hour with a, a broken shoulder and. Mm-hmm. That's when I knew, uh, yeah, something was wrong. <laughs> Something's not good. Okay. Uh, how far into the race were you? That is it halfway through the stage? Yeah. I mean, it's just after the feed zone. So yeah. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 200K stage or 180K stage. So 90, 900K. Yeah. Um, make it through the stage by, I shouldn't say the skin of your teeth because you race for the next 2.99 <laughs> weeks. Um, yeah. yeah the, the order of operations from there are kind of, I don't know what a boilerplate like it's cool that the race yeah. does have an x-ray tech on site yeah um yeah what well, you hop in nice. there um yeah you know I, I, I had a lot of support from you know the doctors and our team directors during that stage is saying you know what like ride within yourself uh you know if you think something's actually wrong you know don't race and of course as a cyclist you know all the work you do to put into to get just to the Tour de France, you're not gonna, you're not gonna admit to something's wrong it uh, is, immediately. It's the culmination of your career. Yeah, it is why you race a bike. It's yeah, why exactly. you got into cycling in the first place. It's uh-huh. why you've been racing and training, yeah. and and getting to that moment. Yeah, I hear you. So um, it, it, it's rough. Um, yeah, and I mean, I I knew I I knew I broke something basically. Mm-hmm you know, immediately after the crash and you just don't admit it to yourself. Sure. You just lie. You say, no, you're okay. I'm nothing, nothing. I'm just being, being a wuss. Like this, this is, this is okay. I'll just continue. And you also know that if you stop, you're just gonna be filled with regret immediately. Yep. So it's just a a weird, weird place to be in because you want to continue, but you're also don't want to continue. Yep. 
Um, Teammates don't totally know what to say. Yeah, I know. Like, um, like they know the sacrifice you've made. Yeah. They know how much work you've put in. But you're also like, you know, you have guys coming up to you saying, are you okay? Like trying to talk to you, but you're also mm-hmm. like, just, you just want to be on your own. Yeah. You just want to like suffer in silence. And, you know, it was, it was actually, it was really encouraging a lot of guys coming up and, and, and saying these things to me. Yeah. But, you know, like you just have this thought in the back of your mind saying like, I'm, like no matter it doesn't matter what anyone says yeah like, there's something wrong and yeah. chances are it's, it's it's all over dreams done for this year so um so yeah, yeah talking about the support uh who was the doc kevin uh yeah kevin sprouse for the first 10 days and matt raven was our, our team cairo for the for, for the first 10 days and then rick morgan and, and rob palmer came in for the second half and mm-hmm. i mean it was it was remarkable. I mean, Matt Rabin, I mean, you, you worked with him. He sure. is yep. a, just a magician. Mm-hmm. And I walked in after that first stage, you know, after the, the x-rays, after we knew exactly what the extent of the injuries were, um, talked to Kevin just about options, say, okay, there's a chance to continue. And you hear there's a chance in, in your mind. You're, you're, you're switching yeah. on. You say, there's not a chance back it's in. happening. Yep. And... I walked into to Matt Raven's room and he said, "Okay, let's go through range of motion." And my had my left left arm down by my side, and he said, "How how far can you move it up?" And it was about six inches. Uh-huh. And I was, and so we kind of was like, "Oh, this, this could <laughs> you be can rough. almost reach your handlebars." <laughs> and yeah, so he was like, "All right, well, let's get to work." And he he just dug in there and and, and worked on it. And when, as you know, like with the scapula, you don't. It's not actually the fracture that that hurts. It's yep. just every muscle yep. around it. So he just worked on it, worked on it. And when I left the room, forty-five minutes later, I could I could almost go straight up to the to holy the cow. Um, and then the next morning is back down to about six inches. Yep. <laughs> but you know, we it, it was it was pretty amazing. Um, I basically spent. If I wasn't on a bike, I was either at the dinner table, I was uh-huh. on the massage table, uh-huh. or I was with with Matt Rabin. So. That's incredible. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of awesome staff that you guys had. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Kevin Sprouse is, he's outstanding, just incredible champion. I mean, he's a yeah. supporter. He, he yeah. wants to see you guys succeed. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're pretty lucky. Uh, yeah. Sprouse with our, being our head of, head of uh, medical staff and really from, from top to bottom, they're, they're all really professional and they're all just really good at their job and, and very passionate. I think that, you know, that takes it a lot further than, than anything else. Yeah. What was the actual diagnosis? I mean, was it, was it the scapula? Did you, yeah. did you separate a shoulder? Did you? No, I didn't separate a shoulder that time. Um, yeah, the, the, fra- it was a fracture in the, in the spine of the scapula. So there's just this ridge that sits on the top of it. And like that allowed me to continue because the fracture was exactly where it was. Yeah. You know, it's not like my, my scapula was just in two, two, uh, two pieces. Sure. And, and you know, I it was it was it was stable and, and secure, and you know, it was it was just painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just what we we had to deal with. Um, obviously, the the laceration above the eye with with six or seven stitches, but you know, I, f- I forgot about that after <laughs> pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. I had a less supportive team doc. We went to get the X-rays. Uh, they showed a separated shoulder and the broken scapula and my team doc immediately was like, all he could do was try to convince me to go home. He was like, yeah. one less person, one less person. I think he just said no, <laughs> no vote of support. Uh, yeah, I got through three more days and that was, that was the end of it. Do you, do you have any more symptoms? Do you have, I mean, shoot, if you can get through the Tour de France with a broken scapula, yeah. by the end of it, you're like, okay, my legs hurt and my <laughs> shoulder feels fine. Yeah. Um, 
I was actually really worried once the once the race ended that you know my body because because you're just moving and I was getting all this work on it and for for three weeks straight and I was really worried that once all that stopped my body would just shut down immediately mm-hmm. but it was pretty pretty remarkable I I stopped through after I finished the race I went back to Girona <laughs> and. I couldn't have done anything if, even if I wanted to. Yeah. I could just barely get off the couch, and, yeah. and I was just a zombie. And that forced me just to purely just just rest. And after f- about five days, I was like starting to notice. I was like, man, actually, it actually feels really good. Sure. Um, then I went and raced San Sebastian, uh, <laughs> uh, and then basically took a, f- a few more days easy after that. And actually, ever since then, I've been feeling feeling the best I have all season. I bet. I mean, man, your body is such in a hole when you're exercising when you're racing when you're when you're training at that level so like you know your fingernails grow at a lesser rate your hair grows at a lesser rate your bones certainly heal at a lesser rate i imagine the second you stopped at the end of the tour like your body was in full healing yeah well it just didn't it didn't have any resources for three weeks straight completely you're depleted Uh, yeah and then so once i you know i started to get my energy levels up and yeah i actually had what it needed to to heal mm-hmm. heal the bone and, and and recover it it kind of got itself into shape pretty quickly i bet so you get through you know you hop on the bike the next day which i'm sure you had enormous reservations about like how how is the shoulder going to operate how are the legs going to operate you got through that you got through day two three four five was there after that were you ever concerned like were you concerned when you when you hit the mountains yeah you know i if, if you look at it, like if, what everyone was saying, everyone's like, okay, if he can just make it the team time trial, he's fine. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> I thought about you then. That was my <laughs> yeah. gracious. Yeah, because that was your exit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, honestly, I mean, I, because I remember when, when, when this all happened to you, and I remember, you know, your team time trial was the, the interview. And it wasn't necessarily a team time trial, it was a start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it like a 30K team time trial? We had, I think, 400 meters through a town. Yeah. And I'm like, if I can just get through these 400 meters, I'm golden. Yeah, I'm still proud of that team time trial because <laughs> I did an individual time trial like 29 miles an hour on a road bike. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> Dude, no, I, I was. I uh, kid you not, I had tears in my eyes watching you start that race. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I, I was. It was just motivation by fear. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, yeah, I made it through the team time trial. It was actually one of my best days of the tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, and then the next stage, it was like, oh, if he just makes it through bay, yeah, he's fine. He's golden. And I also had a lot of people saying, there's no way you can make it through Bay. So hearing that, that was just, you know, I love proving people wrong. Yeah. And that was a lot of getting through Bay was, was just doing that. And then I was about three quarters of in the last, last 40 K of the race. I hated, I hated life, but I was too close <laughs> to the finish to stop at that point. Did you tailgun most of that stage also? Uh, about hundred percent of it. <laughs> Which for those who don't race on cobbles very often, that is, Next to impossible. You like you just can't do that in a traditional uh, no. classic because no. you just get elastic off the back. But yeah, and the, the good—I mean, not the good thing—but thinking about that stage, there's so many crashes and mechanicals, and about half, like about I don't know, 120 came to the stage. I was dangling onto my Gruppetto, and I was like, if I lose contact with this group, it's it's over. I'm not gonna be able to stay with them. I'm gonna be out the out the back, and like there's no way I can make it to the finish. And we were about 30 guys. And about 10K after that, 
a group of like 30 or 40 caught us from behind. Oh, no way. And I had no clue these guys were, were back there. And it was just groups of two and three and four that, that yeah. had crashed or, or whatever during the stage that, you know, I had just kind of ridden through. And so it's just <laughs> that stage was insane. Yeah. So. And uh, to paint the scene to folks who are less familiar with racing, if you're doing a one-day race and you are dropped, your race is over, you go to the hotel, you hop in a cab, you do whatever you can to get back to the your hotel. You don't yeah, start the next day because there's no other race. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're racing to the airport. At the Tour de France, this is stage what, nine? Yeah. You need to finish the stage. You got to yeah. get ready for the next day. And that's why there is this floating Gruppetto off the Gruppetto off yeah, the Gruppetto, exactly. which is, it's a miracle, but it's freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, racing is a lot different these days though. The, the Gruppetto yeah, is, 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 I don't want to say it's non-existent, but it's, it's not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Gruppetto used to just cruise up the last climb, just easy. And now it's just, you know, you have people saying, oh, well, hell, if this guy already got dropped, you know, and mm -hmm. if he doesn't catch back on, he's not going to make time cut and we're going to win this next stage. And, you know, it's just become a lot more competitive. And so now the Gruppetto is just like running this uncomfortable pace and everyone just hates each other and it's just miserable. It's not a fun place to be. There's no, there's no Mario Cipollini leading the no, Gruppetto anymore. no. But, hey, hey, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. But then once the mountains started, started, it was just that was a whole different ball game. Sure. Because then you know the the racing just got ch challenging. Yep. And instead of like, I mean, the racing has been challenging for me all, <laughs> all the entire time. It's been challenging for everybody. Yeah. Let's be clear. The first but, ten days are not a cakewalk. Yeah, for sure. But but the terrain got insane. Yeah. And and in the in, in the Alps this year, we did three of the hardest stages I've ever done. Yeah. Just back to back to back. Um, but yeah, every day just just kind of fought and fought and fought, and there are definitely some dark days in there. There's one day after the second rest day, I spent fifty kilometers chasing uh, in the beginning of the stage with with three other guys, four minutes behind the the back of the peloton. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Lordy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is that a moment where you're like, are we going to make it? Oh, I was drafting my tweet in my head. Yeah. Uh, I, was, yeah. I was thinking about what am I going to say? Like, yeah, when I get back to, in, in, and I miss time cut, like what, what am I going to be, what am I going to say to everyone? Yeah. But you know, I was really lucky throughout the entire three weeks of how we raced and how everything progressed and how my injuries progressed that I was able to make it to the finish each line and, and continue the next day. Was there any, I mean, I can't imagine there was, but don't let me put words in your mouth. Was there any guess when you first put the tweet out said, hey, I'm going to put $100 for every stage that I'm going to complete towards the velodrome, that it would get anywhere even close to what it did? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, no, I mean, when I when I set up the GoFundMe, I put the, the goal as $2,100 yep. because that was 100, 100 bucks for every stage. Yep. That meant I, I made it to Paris. Brilliant. And... I mean, I, I put it up. I put it up before I went to bed after stage one or two, and by the time I woke up in the morning, it was just it had skyrocketed and yeah. completely taken off. And every day, I mean, that was kind of that was that was the there's a lot of things that kept me in the race, uh, but that that was the biggest motivating factor. Um, the first thing I checked in the morning, the last thing I first thing I checked after the stage, mm -hmm. last thing I checked before I went to bed, and it was just growing nonstop. Um, so it was it was insane. It was a uh, uh, I was just truly remarkable because you know people really show show their their true generosity and, and the support and for me it also just showed how how alive cycling is. Yep, and then man, I mean, I, I heard in some interview that you talked about the velodrome to you means more kids on bikes, which is the exact 
expression of NICA, the high school mountain bike league. Like yeah. there is nothing to me that's more peaceful and empowering and uh, just sort of yeah. all around feel good than seeing more kids on bikes. It, they like, just have fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gives you hope for the future. Yeah. I mean, we live in such sort of odd political times and, and geopolitical times and you just you the see. future that doesn't necessarily mean the cycling future because those know. kids can grow up to be anything totally and i i have lifelong friends that i met when i was 10 years old out of the velodrome and they've gone on to be incredibly successful like with nothing to do with cycling mm-hmm. and for me that that's the coolest part i think this this sport teaches you really a lot about yourself uh it kind of forces you to grow up pretty quickly uh <laughs> but it's it's pretty amazing and then that was that was really the goal for me um the money was was incredible what we did mm-hmm. um you know i think it we're, we're over three hundred thousand, and, and donations are continuing to just kind of pour in and and, and and people writing checks and it's absolutely amazing but like the the, the main goal and the, the the biggest thing i wanted to do and get out of all that was was just to increase the exposure for the velodrome because for me it was a, just a remarkable place to to ride as a kid it's 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 void of any traffic you know it's 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 safe obviously you can, you can still crash but sure you know it's it's just a really fun and fun place and good community to to kind of grow up in especially you know to to get especially to get exercise yeah and you know if, if if we get one kid out of uh out of this whole thing to come out and and race out of the track and give it a try i, I consider that a success absolutely um i'm not going to take too much more of your time we're sitting here in the shade the breeze is picking up you are Canada. you're recently back from delivering the, the check is that right i mean yeah. being back home and saying hey here is here's the funds we've raised um what is the what's the state of the velodrome i mean are they in the midst of rebuilding um yeah the they, they are still able to, to race out of the velodrome, which is which is uh, great. They've done such a such an incredible job that the people that run it of of stretching the the dollar as far as it absolutely could go. And then that's one thing that I also talked to him about is you know I don't want this to necessarily change how we act as as a community as a velodrome. I don't want us to say okay we have all this money let's just let's just blow it all and 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 you know, build something that we don't necessarily, that isn't a necessity. Let's, let's, let's build this, the velodrome uh, for long-term success so that in 30 years from now, it can still stand here strong and then, and then build and help farm that next community uh, and, and, you know, just help the, the culture of, of Houston cycling grow. Um, so th- with, with that, I mean, they are still able to race out there. We're, we're working on, uh, the the first thing we'll be working on actually storage, because um, nice. the they are able to ride, but the biggest limiting factor is just not having enough bikes for people. And we have interest out in the velodrome of people wanting to come out and try uh, not only juniors but adults as well as what as well. And um, we just don't have the, the bikes to to put them on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, finding a building a, a permanent storage solution that won't be wiped out by uh, a flood or a hurricane and then, and then after that you know uh, the, the guys at the velodrome have reached out to someone who has taught them a more professional and permanent solution to to fill in cracks and in, in, in defects in the in the concrete at the track other than a quick quick crete from home <laughs> depot yeah. uh, and so those are those are definitely the big things uh, right now uh, it, it's it we, we sat down in Houston a few weeks ago and just kind of 
spend a lot of time talking about what we can do. And, you know, it's a very exciting time for, for Houston cycling right now. Uh, it's growing incredibly fast. Uh, you know, uh, the city actually is, is funding, uh, the city just got a lot of funding to help build, uh, miles and miles of, uh, bike paths throughout the city and, and parks and, That's huge. and, you know, trying now we're, we have all, a lot of momentum with the velodrome. So just try and gain exposure with the, the city through that and, and just see where it'll take off. So, and I think that's the, the, the best place for it. You know, you see one of the, I think America's biggest deficits with the bicycles. We don't have the infrastructure. We yeah. are a country built on, uh, highways and roads and automobiles and like, yeah. we don't have the bike paths and the cities that are finding the greatest success, a have a place for kids to ride bikes, be it a velodrome or, you know, uh, specifically laned off areas mm -hmm. or have bike lanes. So yeah. yeah, we can teach it from the top down. Oh goodness. More kids on bikes. Yeah. Great well, message. That, that's just the goal. Totally. So. Uh, lastly, what was, what was the final tally for your Cannondale bicycle that they sold? Yeah, that, that was, that was, uh, that was pretty special. Right after the tour finished, yeah. uh, Jonathan Garing came to me. He was, uh, you know, one of the top guys at Cannondale. He's so, awesome. Yeah. Great guy. And he just said, Hey, look, like, you know, we really, we really want to be a part of this and want to help out in any way that we can. So we're going to, we're going to auction off your Tour de France bike. And it raised uh, $11,050, <laughs> <laughs> which is, That's which awesome. is truly amazing. So have you met the recipient? Uh, no, I got a, he's got a phone call coming his way. So is it his size? Uh, I sure hope so. <laughs> That'd be really ironic. They're yeah. like, here's your bike you're gonna hang on the wall, and here's your size that you're actually allowed to ride. Yeah, yeah. That'll be eleven thousand dollars more. It's pretty amazing. All right, Lawson, I got goosebumps. Uh, we're in Canada after all. Yeah, I know. It is whatever September in Canada. Yeah, this is this is the one stunning week of fall they have here, and next week it's gonna start snowing. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> All right. I wish you some tremendous success this week through the end of the season. Thank you. Have an awesome off season, so on and so forth. It's been a pleasure catching up, my friend. Yeah. Thanks, Ted. Go Texans. <laughs>